Oh, great anthem, great song, spectacular. Thank you, Virginia Road Band. Those of you on the aisles will find the friendship pads, and uh, I am yours and you are mine, and we belong together. Sign the friendship pad, let us know that you're here, pass it down the row, and greet one another after worship. We are gathered as a community. We want to know that you're here with us. As we uh, begin a new we're reading from the first chapter this morning, and it is the experience of two, Jesus and Nathaniel, who discover that moment when I am yours and you are mine. Uh, apparently this mic isn't working. Can you hear me all right? Now they're giving me a real mic. Yeah. Is this it? I'm Thank you. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay. Good. No, it's out? Let me, uh... oh, wait, there it is. Maybe it's going to be that kind of a morning. I'll just, uh, I'll try to modulate appropriately. Anyway, this text of scripture that I'm about to read from the first chapter of John is at the beginning of things. And it is about that experience where Philip and Nathaniel discover, I am yours and you are mine. Listen for God's word. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Well, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you know I uh, don't come from these parts. I grew up in Minnesota, and I suspect that when some of you think of Minnesotans, you may think of people who, you know, are not that sophisticated, maybe maybe just a, a little backward, you know, don't quite know how to function in an urban, sophisticated setting. I certainly know that people in the East Coast and in New York think of Minneapolis as sort of a Hicksville. Well, 
Growing up in Minnesota, we thought the people in Iowa were from Hicksville. In fact, we called them Iowegians and uh, Norwegians and, you know, Iowegians. Anyway, uh, and the people from North Dakota were really Hicks. In fact, we had a joke about North Dakota. It went something like this. Um, Well, one day long ago, General Custer came to his troops, which were camped in North Dakota, and he said, men, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And they said, well, give us the bad news first. He said, well, okay, the bad news is tomorrow we ride out against the Sioux Nation and we're all slaughtered in battle. And his men said, well, what's the good news? Well, the good news is we don't have to spend another night in North Dakota. Well, apparently Nazareth was that kind of a place. Because this saying on the lips of Nathaniel, who is perhaps without deceit, but maybe a little chip on his shoulder. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? For me, it was like, can anything good come out of North Dakota? We don't know much about Nathaniel at all. He appears here at the beginning of John's gospel. He appears at the end of the gospel. But none of the other gospels list him as one of the disciples. He's not included in those lists. But what we do know about him is he was a man without deceit. Or some relations read he was a man without guile. Which I take to mean that Nathaniel was kind of a straight shooter. You may not have liked what he had to say, but you knew where he stood. And he, he wasn't full of falsehood. He didn't try to mislead people. Here's one of the things about John's gospel. It's a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, you know the story. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus comes along side the Sea of Galilee and hear these fishermen and he says, put down your nets, come and follow me, I'll teach you to fish. And so there's a real sense of Jesus engaging people and calling them. But in John's gospel, people discover who he is. The first disciples come along and they're really disciples of John the Baptist and all of a sudden they see Jesus at his baptism and they begin to discover, and they follow him, and he says, what are you looking for? Well, come and see, says Jesus. They discover who he is. And even in this very first chapter of John, the discovery of Philip and Nathanael leads them to say, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. But they don't really know who he is. In fact, in the very prologue to John's gospel, it says he came into his own and his own did not receive him. That's Nathaniel. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And even at these very early junctures in the gospel, those who do receive him don't really understand who he is until after his death and resurrection. There's a chain reaction that takes place. 
a chain reaction. Not long ago, I was talking to a man who turned to me in the conversation. He said, have I ever told you how the Lord got a hold of my life? I said, you know, no, I don't think you really ever have. And he said, well, it happened like this. It was 1993. I can remember feeling that my marriage had maybe three weeks left before it was going to come apart. Two young boys, two sons, but I was thinking about taking my life. I didn't know what to do. So I decided to get down on my knees. I was in my home. I was in my study. And I got down on my knees. And I prayed this prayer. God, I don't even know if you exist. But if you do, help me. With that simple prayer, he said, I heard an audible voice. I heard these four words. It's not about you. It's not about you. Changed his life. Since that time in his life, a chain reaction for good began. He said, you know, when I heard those words, there were two things I knew. First of all, I knew there was a God. And secondly, I knew I was not him. And that was enough. To know there's a God. And to know that we are not God is the beginning of a chain reaction that takes place in our lives for good. And I'm happy to report 20 years later, he's still married. He's raised his family. He now spends as much time as he can with his three grandchildren. It's a remarkable story of faith, not unlike Philip and Nathaniel. When you come to understand simple things, God is real. And we can trust our lives to him. You know what happens immediately after this text that I read just a moment ago? The second chapter of John starts with the first sign, Gospel of John, where Jesus attends a wedding at Cana. And does his first miracle, the first sign. He turns water into wine. In that chain reaction that's taking place in the gospel, surprisingly, Jesus somehow gets interested in a party that's about to run out of wine. The first thing I notice in that, Jesus is really a good guy to have at a party. 
But it is strange to me that this would be the first sign that Jesus would perform. I mean, why not a cure for cancer or, you know, something a little larger? Why not change unemployment or bring peace to the Middle East or something like that? Why is God the least bit interested in a wedding party that's about to run out of wine? Well, I believe it's because with a universe to manage, God is still interested in the micro level of our lives. What's happening in our hearts and minds. And too often, I think, we turn the extraordinariness of life into the ordinariness of water. We take heartbeats, we take breathing and thinking and learning and beauty and music and all wonderful things of human life and they become humdrum and boring. Of inactivity, without passion or fascination or interest, we turn the extraordinary into the ordinary. Our lives become unmiracles without quality and with meager results. And over and against that stands Jesus the Christ, the master of quality, the master of abundance. And he turns our ordinary lives into something extraordinary, begins a chain reaction. Jesus in that miracle changes a religious ritual which was cleansing, the washing of feet, and turns it into simple joy and abundance. He takes jars for the cleansing, what's essentially unpotable water, you can't drink this stuff, turns it into the finest wine and about 150 gallons of it. I was at a wedding last night, they would have liked that. And for the first time in the gospel, Jesus allows himself to be used. It happens again and again and again. It happens when he encounters ten lepers. It happens to the woman with a hemorrhage. It happens when he feeds the 5,000. People who thought they were getting something from him would come away from the encounter with him absolutely transformed. Just like that man I told you about a moment ago. The encounter with Jesus was always somehow both intoxicating and purifying. Because it's not about you. And the point becomes clear. The word has become flesh and lived among us and we've seen his glory full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace, says the Gospel of John. You see, all of life is sacramental. We can easily encounter Christ in a study or at a party or even here at church. We come here not because we have to, to find the Lord, we come here so we can learn to see and to hear in every aspect of life. We open our eyes a little wider. We open our hearts a little more. We listen more intently to what he is saying to us. 
about what makes for life. About what human life really is when it's extraordinary. He shows us what's important to pay attention to in life and what direction we should go, what pitfalls to avoid. Life is sacramental and Jesus is the master of quality and abundance. And he calls us to himself and he calls us to come and see for ourselves and we begin this chain reaction in our lives, the adventure of discovery. Who he is and what makes for life. Now, on this weekend, this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I want to remind us that Martin Luther King Jr. called this the beloved community. It's fitting that we should remember him today as a minister who proclaimed the gospel of Christ and the reconciling power of God to bring not only our lives together, but people together. In a commencement speech that he gave at Lincoln University in 1961, Dr. King recognized that the world was becoming a smaller place through travel and commerce. And he proclaimed, through our scientific genius, we have made of this world a neighborhood. Now, through our moral and spiritual development, we must make of it a brotherhood. In a real sense, we must all learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will perish together as fools. We must come to see that no individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. We must all live together. We must all be concerned about each other. And then he went on and he said, we must keep our moral and spiritual progress abreast with our scientific and technological advances. The great problem confronting us today in 1961 is that we've allowed the means by which we live to outdistance the ends for which we live. So the question this morning is, have you allowed the means by which you live to outdistance the ends for which you live? Lives matter. All lives matter. Your life matters to God. And it's time that we embrace the giver of life, the one who reconciles brothers and sisters, we can build more loving communities. We can begin a chain reaction that leads to a different set of priorities by God's grace. And it begins with understanding first and foremost, we're not God, but there is one. Thanks be to God. And as he says at the end of this passage to Nathaniel, You have not seen anything yet. Thanks be to God. Amen.